From Bookworms in the Wild and from Anchor, I'm Howard Alterescu, and this is my podcast where I ask people I find interesting to tell me what they're reading. This is our first podcast from the Anchor Podcast Lab, and I'm already feeling great about the discussion I'm about to have with our guest today, my old friend, Jim Finnegan. Jim is one of a handful of friends who I've gone to over the years when I needed a good book to read. Jim has always been a font of knowledge about books, and occasionally otherwise as well. Many years ago, Jim gave me a handwritten copy of the hundreds and hundreds of books he has read. I'm sure that Jim's list was the inspiration for the spreadsheet I created many years ago cataloging the books I read. I'm just looking now across the table, and (laughs) Jim's still got his list. Absolutely. Uh, So, good afternoon, Jim, and thanks for joining me on the podcast to tell me what you're reading. Happy to be here. Thanks. When we spoke in advance of this discussion, I asked you what you were reading, and you reeled off a long list and a wide variety of books that you recently read, that you're currently reading, and that are on deck. Let's start with what you're reading now. So, Jim, tell me what you're reading. Well, I'm um, just about 15 pages from finishing a collection of short stories by uh, Haruki Murakami called Men Without Women. And um, Murakami is a a Japanese author who I had never heard of. My wife, who um, gets me a great deal of books at Christmas time, bought me a book called... um, the Wild Sheep Chase, which seemed really weird, and um, I liked it, and I've read four or five of his um, his books since then, and uh, my daughter, no, actually, my daughter is a big fan of Murakami, but my f- a friend of ours, Joe Palazzato, whom you know, loves Murakami, and he told me he had just read this short story collection. I'm not generally a short story fan. Um, I don't read too many of them. But um, I went out and got this from the library, and I had just finished a collection of short stories by Thomas McGuane called uh, Cloudbursts, and they were fabulous. Uh, He, as you know, now is in Montana, and I think you said you know him as a a guy who writes about uh, trout fishing. Well, fly fishing, trout fishing, the outdoors. Yeah. Very different from Murakami. Oh, completely different. Uh, Murakami is... I, I asked Palazzato, why do I like him? It, it's hard to explain. Oh, we should get Palazzato. <clears throat> get him on the phone. Uh, it, it's, it's, he's, he's got some magical stuff. It's sort of like uh, Borges um, in that strange things happen. Um, but he's just, his, his prose is great. And of course, it's, it's difficult to analyze somebody's prose when it's translated because the translator, I guess, is as important as the, um, as the author. But um, the McGuane uh, short stories are completely different. They are um, they're, they're obviously set almost principally in, in Montana, and the characters in it are all, they're flawed, they're damaged in some way, they're divorced, they're uh, out of work, they're drunk, they're murderers, uh, and... Reading them makes me feel good about myself. <laughs> um, and, and I've only read, I read uh, 92 in the shade, which I told you was 102 in the shade. But, Marked down. But yeah. with, well, it's global warming. Yeah. Um, probably 35 years ago. And this is the first, the only reason I read Cloudburst is a good friend of mine from college, Rick Love. Uh, yeah, we give each other books 
for birthdays. And um, he gave me Cloudbursts along with, um, um, I'm looking here because I, I can't remember. Oh, The Overstory by uh, Richard Powers. Right. Which which, also, so I read about that. That's another odd combination. He, yes, um, uh, I read a, uh, a book, a, a novel by uh, Powers a couple of years ago. I can't remember the name of it. And it was um, strange. There were kind of strange things happening. There was somebody who was in a car accident who lost uh, the ability to, th to he, he, he couldn't recognize people. And it was, it was really interesting. The overstory is, it's almost an environmental uh, uh plea for saving the earth in a novel form and the trees in the um, in the in the book are really the the stars of the um, of the story and stuff you learn about trees is just incredible in it um, and it was I, I really enjoyed that and and uh, would not have read it otherwise I I read the review and I remember eh, powers the book was okay I mean it was interesting but not something that I would pick up and uh, Rick gave it to me, and I loved it. So Rick gave you the Powers book? The Powers book and the McGuane book. Um, and uh, he... So you'd read anything he, he suggested? It sounds well, like. when a friend gives me a book, um, I feel obligated to give it a shot. And, and Rick and I go back 45 years, and he pretty much knows what I would like and, and I know what he would like. And, and so um, I'm not surprised that I enjoyed both of them. So um, I read about Murakami's book, uh, A Wild Sheep Chase, which literally in Japanese is an adventure surrounding sheep. Okay. And this particular review, and you called him a future Nobel Prize winner. Right? Oh, he, he, he will get the Nobel Prize. He's, he's, he's so always the, mentioned... Um, and I was a little bit concerned because uh, Ishigura got it most recently, and I'm thinking uh, another Japanese guy, but he's actually a British writer and writes in English, so um, I don't think uh, I don't think that will hurt his chances. So th this particular review says the book is part mystery and part magical realism. Uh, is the Power book the Powers book similar? No, no, no. Powers book is straight fiction. Um, a, a, a a believable story. Nothing. Yeah. Well, there's actually there's there's a little bit there's, there's a little bit of magical realism in that one of the characters believes that the trees are talking to her and that she can communicate with them. Now that might be because she's a little off. Um, <laughs> but uh, that's that's the only part. And when I I I briefly read the review. Um, and I thought, they said the trees, after 100 pages, you realize that the trees are really the most important part. So I was a little worried that it was going to be, the trees are going to be talking to each other. It was going to be like the ants in the Lord of the Rings. They're going to be walking around and doing stuff. But not, no. not, not your style. Uh, no, I love Lord of the Rings. But, oh. <laughs> but, but I was afraid that you were going to get, um, you know, a, a little bit too crazy with the trees. But that's not the case. So you you mentioned and so let me go back to McGuane. So he's an outdoors guy. Uh, the books are almost all all about the outdoors. Yes, a lot about fishing, a lot about fly fishing, horseback riding. Do you fish? Do you no. ride? No, no. So what is it that attracts you? 
good writing, good stories. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, I, I, I don't think you have to um, uh, be a fisherman to read uh, fishing stories. I play golf poorly. I've never read a golf book. I don't know of a book about golf. Right? There's, there's, there's a lot of really good books. Palazzotto, for example, reads Herbert Warren Wind has written oh, yes. a number of, of books about golf that are supposed to be tremendous. I really have no interest in that. Right. So, it now if I if I picked up a book about golf and and found that I was entranced by it, I'd read it. So, uh, the 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 stories in McGuane, the McGuane stories are about people and right. and people who are in different situations than um, than I am, but they're still uh, they're still about people. And, and, uh, I find, I find the people very interesting and the writing is great. And so you've mentioned a number of short stories, but you usually, do you usually read short no. stories? I, I don't no. think so. No, I am not a, not a short stories fan generally. Um, sounds like that may change. Maybe. Well, I mean, I don't know. I still, I still prefer the, I still prefer the novel and, uh, I, it, it's, it's very few. In fact, I get the New Yorker and there are short stories in there every week. I never read them. <laughs> never, never. No, even by authors whom I like. I just now McGoin's a New Yorker writer, as as are yes. some of the, well, most of the great writers. Yeah, and I think some of the, some of the um, short stories in Men Without Women appeared in the New Yorker. Hmm. Uh, so you mentioned when we spoke another author, completely different. It's a novel, uh, Middleman. Olin Steinhauer. Uh, Olin Steinhauer. Um, I he's a spy novelist, and I read a review about this book, All the Old Knives. I think was the name of it, and it was a uh, really a terrific psychological thriller where two uh, former colleagues met for dinner, and there was there had been a screw up in uh, several years earlier, and. One of them was investigating the other, but you don't you don't you don't know who it is, and and they're playing games with each other back and forth, and it's not until the end that you realize that uh, you know one is there to to kill the other one, <laughs> so I really enjoyed that, and I was in um, Berlin on business a couple of years ago, I needed a book to read for the flight home. I didn't have a book. And I remembered when I had been in Berlin, my daughter spent the semester there. Uh, my wife and I had visited this bookstore that had a tremendous selection of English language books. My hotel was not too far from it. So I went there and I'm just looking to get a book. And uh, I see Steinhau, the tourist. Okay, so I buy that. And it was the uh, first of a trilogy about a guy who works in the uh, CIA's Department of Tourism. I have no idea where that actually exists, but he's like a contract killer for the CIA. And it was great. So I read that and then the next two. And when I saw that the middleman was coming out, I, I, like six, six months ago, I probably saw that. I put in a request in the library. It came in and, uh, and I read it. Uh, last week. That's phenomenal. What was the name of the first book? Uh, I think it's All the Old Knives. Imagine finding a spy novel in Berlin. Yeah, shocking, right? Yeah. Two of my three kids are tremendous readers. Megan reads 70 books in a year. And they both live in 
uh, Brooklyn, and they both are avid users of the library. I would say at least a third of the books that I read each year I get from the library. That's great. There's an app called, I think it's called OneDrive, where if you've got a library card, you can get, you can reserve books at any library or the library within the system, uh, and as well as audio books for, uh, for free. I had one experience with audio books. I will never read one again. I uh, had to drive down and back to D.C. when my oldest son was was going to school there. Usually I would drive down with him in the beginning of the semester, drive back alone and reverse it at the end of the year. But he had to go down early for some fraternity thing, and he didn't have his, his uh, dorm wasn't ready. So I drove down, and I heard people talk about books on tape, and I thought, right, here's a perfect opportunity. So I got um, the Stephen Ambrose, um, uh, the one about Lewis and Clark. Oh, it's a great book. Yeah. so It's got I, a name, too. It does have a name. I can't think of it right now. Yeah. But uh, So I got it out of the library. Now, I miscalculated. I thought it was 12 hours, but it was 24 hours. It was 12 hours. I can handle it. I'm, re I'm listening to it. I'm missing exits. I can't, you know, I just, I can't, I, I can't um, really, I, I can't pay attention to something else while I'm driving. And, but the thing that really annoyed me is when you're, particularly when you're reading a, um, a nonfiction book, sometimes they'll mention somebody and you'll say, well, who was that? And you want to go back. And yeah. with the audio book, you can't yeah. do it. Now with the, with um, uh, e-books, you can't. Oh, you can flag. You know, you yeah. can flag it. Right, and right. I've read a couple of e-books, but I much prefer the, the uh, you know, the solid real book. Real, real book. So um, many years ago, I wasn't able to read for a while, and so somebody said I should listen to books on tape. And it was summertime. And you know, you, if you're reading a book, you sit in a hammock. You know, I call it. We have a two-page hammock. You have to two pages, you fall asleep. <laughs> right. Right. And that's okay. But if you're listening to a book on tape, it keeps going. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> right, right. So, yeah. uh, but I recently listened to two books on tape. Uh, one with Dave uh, Shoe Dog, the biography of Phil Knight. Terrific, okay, yeah, that's book. right. I've heard of that book, right? And yeah. then uh, Springsteen's autobiography, which he read. Uh, which he, okay, and, and that was that one. It's a fascinating book, but right? I can't. Well, I I. I Got that one on tape because somebody introduced me to Overdrive, and there it was. So, so um, you, you've described. Well, I think you've described books you're reading and books on your shelf. What what else is on your on deck? Well, um, the only, I just got a book at a library called Righteous by Joe. I think his name pronounced Ide. Maybe it's I D. It's I D E. And he's a Japanese-American who lives in L.A., and he wrote, um, I, I think he was probably in his 40s, he wrote his first novel, and it was a detective, kind of a detective novel starring an African-American in south-central L.A. called IQ was the name of the book. And the protagonist is, I forget, I forget exactly what his name is, but... His initials are IQ, and he's very smart, but he's got a very interesting backstory. So I read that, and then I was just looking to pick up a book. We're going on vacation next week, and I wanted to read something, so I got that. Do you find you pick up a book for vacation, and then you read it before you go? Well, I'm a little worried that this I could read pretty quickly, but I don't, I don't think I'll 
get it done before then. <laughs> You'll bring a New Yorker with you. Well, what's interesting is we we are going to Martha's Vineyard, and when the kids were younger, we went there every summer for probably eight or nine years. And one of the things we would do, there's a bookstore in Vineyard Haven called Bunch of Grapes. And we would go there, and um, I'd always get a book. And I'd get a book by somebody I never heard of. And um, I'm trying to think of what the... Uh, it'll come to me later, but I... I Pete Dexter was the was the author, and uh, I can't think of the. I've read Pete Dexter. I can't think of the name of the book. Is there a Coke bottle involved? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, our our friend Patty Newarth suggested that. Paris Trout. Paris Paris Trout. Trout. I shudder. Yeah, Paris Trout was not a nice guy. But anyway, I I I picked this book out of random, you know, not randomly, but I'm looking through, and this sounds interesting. And I wound up reading four or five of uh, God's Dexter? Pocket was one oh, or the oh, by other Pete, Pete Dexter. by Pete Dexter. So um, I can't remember any other book that I got, but that was the first one that I got. So we're, we will we went back two years ago. The kids gave us as a Christmas present a week in Martha's Vineyard with with all of them there. With, with all of them there. Yeah. So <laughs> so we went we went to a bunch of graves, which has now moved across the street into smaller space, and but it's still a great bookstore and. So I know I will get a book there sometime next week. Uh, it, as I said, the, just thinking about uh, the Pete Dexter book makes me shudder. Yeah, that was... Uh, so a definition of a good book. You, know, you, you remember it. Yep. Uh, it's vivid. Uh, I'm reading Manhattan Beach now. I read... I, that was one of the books I got for Christmas. I really enjoyed that. Did you Did you read her first book? I did not. Uh, uh, a Visit from the Goon Squad is tremendous. Oh, good. It is tremendous. It's a series of interconnected... Kind of short Janet stories. Janet Egan, is that it? Uh, Jennifer Egan. Jennifer. Jennifer Egan. Egan. It, it's terrific. Manhattan Beach is really good, too. But but uh, Visit from the Goon Squad is, is special. So they spend time in Brooklyn. They spend time in the Bronx. Uh, spend some time in Manhattan. Manhattan Beach, of course, is in Brooklyn. Yep. But yep. Uh, they spend time in Manhattan. Uh, I, I picked it up because it was chosen by the New York City Mayor's Office and New York Magazine. For all New Yorkers, oh, to read. is that the book to read? That's yeah. the book to read. Yeah. So I figured I'm. That's my. That's what I do. Yeah. So yeah. so I figured I'd read that. Um, you you mentioned the New Yorker, uh, but you don't read the fiction. Um, Remnick, of course, is. I mean, there are so many stars there. Remnick, right, is, is at the top of the chain. Are there thing? Are there authors in particular? And so, for example, George Packer. I, I resolved many years ago to read anything George Packer writes. Are there particular authors from the New Yorker that you like? I get the New Yorker, I open it up, I read a couple of things in the front, you know, the uh, yeah. talk about town, talk around uh, town, whatever it's called. I read the uh, cartoons, the drawings, excuse me. Yeah. I look at the back to see if I can come up with with uh, a, a caption for for that drawing. You've won that many times. I've yeah, in my head. No, I, I never come up with anything. And yeah. then I look at them the next week and I say, yeah, yeah. that was obvious. Yeah. Why didn't I come up with that? I don't really read The New Yorker much. I get it. We've been getting it for 40 years. And um, I used to, it's amazing, I have more time now. The kids are gone, and I read The New Yorker less. Um, and I just, it, 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 it should be a monthly. It's, it, it's too much in there. Seriously. <laughs> so I, I, re, I refer to it as relentless. Uh, yeah, no matter how much you read, next Monday, Tuesday, yeah, yeah. it's coming back. 
Well, I, I had to stop. Did you ever read the New York Review of Books? I did not. That was a tremendous um, publication. I think that it's still it's still in existence. And actually, it came it came into existence during the great newspaper strike of 1965, maybe. And so a bunch of uh, out-of-work uh, newspaper people put it together. And then, I don't know, Norman Mailer might have been involved been in it, or I don't know. But uh, they had these long, long articles, uh, mostly geopolitical and economic and tremendous stuff. You could read one, and, and, you, know, and you would be exhausted. But I got that for years, and then I just I gave it up because I just wasn't reading it. Yeah, well, that's, that's a good idea if you're not reading it. But New Yorker, you're still getting value out of yes, it. Yes, yes. Absolutely. So um, let's talk a little bit about Stephen King. So I know that uh, you're not a big Stephen King fan, uh, but as I've mentioned to you, uh, I'm going to be talking on another edition of the podcast with Maya Prohovnik, who's head of product here at Anchor. And she's also, possibly more importantly, a Stephen King super fan. Maya's got is the creator and host of the Dairy Connection, which is devoted to a discussion about all of King's seventy plus novels. And Maya, I think, has read close to fifty of them. And one of the things she does on both the uh, podcast and on her website is find the connections between the characters and the places and a variety of other things between among all the novels. Fascinating. I'm not a fan of horror horror stories myself. Uh, I know you're generally not a fan. I read 11-22-63. You read 11-22-63. I loved it. I think you liked it as well. I did. So what? What? <clears throat> what is it? So that it wasn't a horror story. There was a mystery involved. Uh, well written. It was also a period piece that we probably both enjoyed. Right. Is that a good description of what you found attractive? Yeah. Um, I... Uh, saw that the Times gave it a great review. I should back up. Um, my son, Brian, has read, I think he's read everything that Stephen King has read, every novel. I don't know if he's read his, his uh, critical uh Maybe we'll work. get him on Maya's podcast. And I will. And um, so he would have them around the house, and I remember picking one up. I was in the bathroom and started leafing through it, and I said, this is crap. Not the bathroom, <laughs> but the book. And just uh, so much we can do with editing. You know. <laughs> but go ahead. And um, so I had no interest in it at all. And then um, I he, he uh, hosted. Uh, there's a, a series at Symphony Space, which is in the Upper West Side. Every year they put out the best American short stories. It's a it's a it's a compendium, and there is an author who is in charge of that, and the author. Um, appears, it's it's usually in October, and explains his or her uh, criteria for selecting the um, the short stories and, and talks about it. And then people come, actors will come and read three or four of them. So uh, I knew I, I knew that Stephen King was the was the editor. This is probably ten years ago, and I got tickets for my wife and Brian, my son, who likes Stephen King. And Chris came home and said, the guy was tremendous. Uh, he's, he's really very, you know, I thought he's a horror writer. I mean, but actually to be a successful writer, whatever genre, whether it's Jacqueline and Suzanne, you have, to, you have to be really good at what you're doing. You have to be a storyteller. Yeah. And, but he is, is also um, very well steeped in 
literary criticism, and so I, and then I read one or two articles by him um, about the art of writing, and then when this uh, eleven twenty two sixty three came out, I thought, all right, it's got a good review. I'm going to read it, and I loved it. I should tell you that. My son calls me a crackpot letter writer. And when I read <laughs> novels, some things, I don't look for errors, but they jump out at me. And um, I write to authors and I tell them, look, hey, I loved your book, but this was wrong and this was wrong. Um, and, and so th there were a couple of things where I can't remember all of them, but one of them, he had um, the 1962 um, AFL championship game was between the Denver Broncos, I think, and the Houston Oilers or the can the Dallas maybe the Dallas Chiefs before they moved to Kansas City. And it referred to it as the AFC championship. So I had to explain that the AFC didn't exist until until they merged. And then it was something else. How and did he express his appreciation? Uh, by not responding, okay. um, and and I th I wrote I had footnotes in the letter and of everything, course. and uh, <laughs> never did. Get the, I I've only gotten two responses: one from um, Mark Helprin, uh, memoir from Ant Proof Case, which is I don't know if you read Mark Helprin, but he's he's really very good, and he had a guy going over the Throgs Neck Bridge before it was built. And so Quite I wrote feet. to him yeah. and pointed it out. And he sent me a postcard thanking me for he loves right. having interested readers. And I got, I, I'm drawing a blank now. I got, I got one recently from somebody else, but it's it's not coming to me. I wrote a letter to uh, my rabbi correcting, I thought correcting um, a sermon. Uh, he had a different view. <laughs> but but it's the dialogue is what's important. So in any event, I so I love... Yep. Eleven twenty-two sixty-three, and then Brian said you should read Mister Mercedes, which is really a detective novel. And I read it; I really liked it. It was oh good, you know. I, I mean, I like I now like detective novels. I read a lot of them, and I found it really interesting. And then that was the first of a trilogy. The third one got into a little bit of horror stuff, uh, but but the second was very good. And the third one was good, but it was starting to be too much Stephen Kingy for me. Have you read The Green Mile? No. I recommend it. Yeah, I saw the movie, but I have not have not read the uh, great book. Yeah. Great book. So uh so you mentioned Symphony Space. Um uh you mentioned but you didn't go hear King there. Have you heard other authors that you know at Oh Symphony yeah. Space? Yeah, yeah. Um my my daughter and I went to see uh they had a thing about Roberto Bolliano, if you've heard of this guy, he he wrote two. He's written a lot of stuff, but he wrote two very long uh, novels. One was called Twenty Six Sixty Six. I can't think. Did of the you other. mention that to me? Somebody, no, I, I don't think so. No, that's that's. I'm gonna have to connect it. Somebody else mentioned Twenty Six Sixty Six to me. It's a, in the last couple of days. It is a massive book. It's seven or eight hundred pages long, and it's just it's fascinating. I can't think of the other one. The other one was a little bit shorter. But they had a um, they had a night of and he he died of cancer pretty early young age, um, and and they had a night of, of reading some of his short stories. Uh, they 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 had a fiftieth I guess anniversary of Catch Twenty Two, and they had oh. 
Joseph Heller was not there because he was dead, but um, they had his uh, his editor, Robert Gottlieb, who's one of the great New York editors. Um, I could tell you a little bit of a story about Robert Gottlieb if yeah, go if, right we, if we have time. <laughs> if we have time. So it's hold, hold Robert Gottlieb. Okay. So Symphony Space is on Upper West Side. We had 95th and Broadway. Yeah, that's great. So... Um, uh, I know you read the New York Times book review column by the book. Yes. And that's by B-Y, not B-U-I. Yes. Although, by the book. So I read a few of the by the book columns after you mentioned the section to me, and I found it fascinating to read about, for example, well, the wide, among other things, the wide variety of books that various people read. Uh, when Anthony Bourdain, may he rest in peace, was interviewed, uh, he had on his bedstand books about Churchill and Orwell. And, of course, Graham Greene's uh, memoir, uh, Ways of Escape. John McCain talked about a Sinatra biography as well as recommending that we all read Huckleberry Finn. Good advice. Bill Clinton had a massive number of books. He loves uh, he loved uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. I don't know if you've read that. My, my daughter just read that. Yeah. said it was great. It was a, uh, very difficult, a very sad story about... Oh, it's terrible. Native, I mean, I read, the, I read the review of it, and oh, it's, it's just horrible. Horrifying, horrifying. Uh, but Clinton had books, of course, about history, humanity, and enlightenment. Um, do you find authors by reading by the book? No, not really. Um, m- m- many of them I've never heard of. Um, and uh, I'm just, I'm always curious to see what they read. I often, I also, because I grew up in the Bronx, I think some of them are, full of hooey when they talk about all the books that they have in their, on their nightstand, okay? But that's that's just me. Um, and the Bronx provides that skepticism? Is that what Yes, it? yes. Um, yeah, that's, uh, Some of the great it, people are from the Bronx, it, you know uh, that. Yes, I do. Uh, both of us included, I yeah, think. Absolutely. So, so you want a, a, a little vignette about Gottlieb? All right, so Robert Gottlieb is this legendary New York editor. And he was Robert Caro's editor when Caro wrote uh, The Power Broker. So the Caro spent himself into bankrupt, almost into bankruptcy. Probably uh, took a decade or more. Yeah, and, and the great thing about him is he has only one uh, researcher, and that's his wife. Yes. So it's unlike Stephen Ambrose or Doris Kearns Goodwin who have been caught for, for uh, plagiarism because they have a team of people doing their research. He just has his wife. So anyway, he writes the power broker. He's he's he must have gotten a little bit of an advance, but um, he, he, he was down to he had no money anyway. Power broker was a big success. He's now an important author, and he had always said that he wanted to, his next book was going to be on LaGuardia. He was a big fan of Fiora LaGuardia, and Gottlieb was also a big fan of LaGuardia, and he was excited that he was going to do this book. So he comes to 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 meet, to sign the contract, get the advance. Both of them have independently determined LaGuardia is too narrow. It's it's too limited to New York. You should do the the book should be on Johnson, right? So Caro comes in, and Gottlieb is now trying to persuade him mm-hmm. to do something that he already wants to do. And and uh, Caro, who wrote a, an article in, in, in The New Yorker about this, uh, said, I sat there, kept my mouth shut, as my advance kept going up and up and up. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's really 
fascinating that the two of them arrived at the same conclusion independently, and then Caro used you know used it against Gottlieb to get. Uh, so it's a great and it was a great conclusion. That's a great story, but it was a great conclusion. Uh, I read Paths to Power, Path to Power, and and then I read about Caro. I don't remember if I read that story. I may have. Uh, and it takes about a decade for each book. I, I think there are three or four already about Johnson. He's, he's, if you look at the introduction to the first, it says this is the first in a projected trilogy. So my brother Kevin and I have read, read, read the, the first three, and we're waiting. When is the next one going to come out? Uh, the, the third one ends with his becoming vice president. So that's before, so Path to Power, I thought was the fourth. Mm. And because in Path to Power, he becomes president, if I remember. Yeah, correctly. that's the most recent one. Right, then, okay. Right. I, I don't know the names. I know yeah. one, two, yeah. three, and four. So um, there, was, there was an article, an excerpt from it, in The New Yorker. And uh, Kevin gets The New Yorker, and we're excited. And we're figuring this book has got to be... 2,000 pages long because it's going to take him to yeah. his death. Yeah, but no. And, and, and so I went online and found that it was 750 pages. I said, th th this is not ending. I mean, and it just took you through 64. So uh, it's, right, about every 64. Ten, it's about every 10 years. He's, got to, he, he's, he's in, in his mid-80s. Mid-80s, but he's working on the next volume. He said, the last I heard, he had done almost all of his research, but he had to go to Vietnam to actually right. be in Vietnam to, to, to see it. I mean, that's the, those books are, are just tremendous. I love it. Uh, they're, they're great. And, and um, there was a Broadway show from Breaking Bad. Tell me, remind me the... the no, I, I'm drawing, drawing a blank. Didn't I haven't so, seen the show? Oh, uh, the show was—it it was the basically yeah. The TV show is supposed to be great. I never saw it. Uh, yeah. So uh, all of the Carol books are amazing. So the Power Broker is huge and amazing, and it's relevant today in New York. And of course, everything about Johnson is relevant. So, so I, I reread the Power Broker about five or six years ago, and <clears throat> when you when I read it in 1975, New York City was collapsing yeah right i mean it was the the crime was up uh, there was graffiti all over the place the infrastructure was falling apart the city was virtually bankrupt and moses was really a bad guy yes i read it maybe I, I don't know, five or ten years ago and although moses is still a bad guy it's different because the city is vibrant and it's um, economically booming, and and I I just found that the time in which you read a book like that really has has an effect. Now maybe if we read it again today, with the subways falling apart, right. and, you know, bridges collapsing, and all that, maybe I would have a back to kind of nineteen seventy five world right. feel. But well, that's a good good observation. I still, as as a native of the Bronx, and as a uh, Participant in the life of the Bronx today, I still find it difficult to appreciate the way he beat up the Bronx. Oh, well, what he did with the Cross Bronx Expressway yeah. was disgraceful. Absolutely. So, I think that's plenty. Jim, thanks very much. Pleasure to be here. More information about our guest today can be found on our website, www.bookwormsinthewild.com. 
Our website also includes links to the books and other resources we referred to in our discussion. Thanks especially to my podcast team. Dave created the podcast with me and is my producer. Ron is responsible for art direction and design. Melanie, as always, is in control of most everything and has provided overall creative direction. Ben and Eden provide additional inspiration and support. And, of course, Carol is my muse, as well as my affiliate manager. The entire Wolfpack is also responsible for introducing me to most of our guests. Thanks also to the great Anchor team for making it free and easy to create the podcast. If you liked our podcast, please subscribe. And in any event, let me have your comments at bookwormsinthewild at gmail.com. Looking forward to seeing you on the podcast next week. And the characters in it are all, they're flawed, they're damaged in some way, they're divorced, they're uh, out of work, they're drunk, they're murderers, uh, and reading them makes me feel good about myself. (laughs) From Bookworms in the Wild and from Anchor, I'm Howard Alterescu, and this is my podcast where I ask people I find interesting to tell me what they're reading. This is our first podcast from the Anchor Podcast Lab, and I'm already feeling great about the discussion I'm about to have with our guest today, my old friend, Jim Finnegan. Jim is one of a handful of friends who I've gone to over the years when I needed a good book to read. Jim has always been a font of knowledge about books, and occasionally otherwise as well. Many years ago, Jim gave me a handwritten copy of the hundreds and hundreds of books he has read. I'm sure that Jim's list was the inspiration for the spreadsheet I created many years ago cataloging the books I read. I'm just looking now across the table, and (laughs) Jim's still got his list. Absolutely. Uh, So, good afternoon, Jim, and thanks for joining me on the podcast to tell me what you're reading. Happy to be here. Thanks. When we spoke in advance of this discussion, I asked you what you were reading, and you reeled off a long list and a wide variety of books that you recently read, that you're currently reading, and that are on deck. Let's start with what you're reading now. So, Jim, tell me what you're reading. Well, I'm um, just about 15 pages from finishing a collection of short stories by uh, Haruki Murakami called Men Without Women. And um, Murakami is a a Japanese author who I had never heard of. My wife, who um, gets me a great deal of books at Christmas time, bought me a book called... um, the Wild Sheep Chase, which seemed really weird, and um, I liked it, and I've read four or five of his um, his books since then, and uh, my daughter, no, actually, my daughter is a big fan of Murakami, but my f- a friend of ours, Joe Palazzato, whom you know, loves Murakami, and he told me he had just read this short story collection. I'm not generally a short story fan. Um, I don't read too many of them. But um, I went out and got this from the library, and I had just finished a collection of short stories by Thomas McGuane called uh, Cloudbursts, and they were fabulous. Uh, He, as you know, now is in Montana, 
And I think you said you know him as a, a, a guy who writes about uh, trout fishing. Well, fly fishing, yeah. trout fishing, the outdoors. Yeah. Very different from Murakami. Oh, completely different. Uh, Murakami is... I, I asked... Palazzato, why do I like him? It, it's hard to explain. Oh, we it, should get Palazzato. <clears throat> get him on the phone. Uh, it, it's it's he's he's got some magical stuff. It's sort of like uh, Borges, um, in, in that strange things happen. Um, but he's just his his prose is great. And of course, it's it's difficult to analyze somebody's prose when it's translated because the translator, I guess, is as important as the um, as the author. But um, the McGuain. Uh, short stories completely different. They are, um, they're they're obviously set almost principally in in Montana, and the characters in it are all they're flawed, they're damaged in some way, they're divorced, they're uh, out of work, they're drunk, they're murderers, uh, and reading them makes me feel good about myself. <laughs> um, and and I've only read I read uh, ninety two in the shade, which I told you was one hundred and two in the shade. But markdown. But yeah. with well, it's global warming. Yeah. Um, probably thirty five years ago, and this is the first. The only reason I read Cloudburst is a good friend of mine from college, Rick Love. Uh, yeah, we give each other books for birthdays, and um, he gave me Cloudburst along with. Um, um, I'm looking here because I, I can't remember. Oh, the Overstory by uh, Richard Powers. Right. Which, which, also, so I read about that. That's another odd combination. He yes. Um, uh, I read a, uh, a book, a, a novel by uh, Powers a couple of years ago. I can't remember the name of it, and it was um, strange. There were kind of strange things happening. There was somebody who was in a car accident who lost. Uh, the ability to, th- to he, he he couldn't recognize people, and it was it was really interesting. The overstory is it's almost an environmental uh, uh, plea for saving the earth in a novel form, and the trees in the um, in, in the in the book are really the the stars of the um, of the story, and stuff you learn about trees is just incredible in it. Um, and it was I, I really enjoyed that and and uh, would not have read it otherwise. I I read the review and I remember eh, Powers the book was okay I and mean, it was interesting but not something that I would pick up. And uh, Rick gave it to me and I loved it. So Rick gave you the Powers book, the Powers book and the McGuane book. Um, and uh, he so you'd read anything he, he suggested. It sounds well like. when a friend gives me a book. Um, I feel obligated to give it a shot. And and Rick and I go back 45 years, and he pretty much knows what I would like, and, and I know what he would like. And, and so um, I'm not surprised that I enjoyed both of them. So um, I read about Murakami's book, uh, A Wild Sheep Chase, which literally in Japanese is an adventure surrounding sheep. Okay. And this particular review... And you called him a future Nobel Prize winner. Right? Oh, he, he he will get the Nobel Prize. He's 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 well, always the, mentioned. Um, and I was a little bit concerned because uh, Ishigura got it most recently, and I'm thinking uh, another Japanese guy. But he's actually a British writer and writes in English, so 
um, I don't think uh, I don't think that will hurt his chances. So th this particular review says the book is part mystery and part magical realism. Uh, is the Power book the Powers book similar? No, no, no. Powers book is straight fiction, um, a, a, a a believable story. Nothing. Yeah, well, there's actually there's. There's a little bit. There's a little bit of magical realism in that one of the characters believes that the trees are talking to her and that she can communicate with them. Now that might be because she's a little off, um, <laughs> but uh, that's that's the only part. And when I I, I briefly read the review, um, and I thought they said the trees after after a hundred pages, you realize that the trees are really the most important part. So I was a little worried that it was going to be the trees are going to be talking to each other. It was going to be like the ants in the Lord of the Rings. They're going to be walking around and doing stuff. But not not, not your style. Uh, no, I love Lord of the Rings, but oh. <laughs> but but I was afraid that you were going to get um, you know a, a little bit too crazy with the trees. But that's not the case. So you you mentioned and so let me go back to McGuane. So he's an outdoors guy. Uh, the books are almost all all about the outdoors yes a lot about fishing a lot about fly fishing horseback riding do you fish do you no. ride no no so what is it that attracts you good writing good stories yeah. Yeah. i mean um you know i i i don't think you have to um uh, be a fisherman to read uh fishing story i play golf poorly i've never read a golf book i don't know of a book about golf right there's 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 a lot of really good books. Palazzato, for example, reads Herbert Warren Wind has written oh, yes. a number of, of books about golf that are supposed to be tremendous. I really have no interest in that. Right. So it now if I if I picked up a book about golf and and found that I was entranced by it, I'd read it. So uh, the 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 stories in McGuane, the McGuane stories are about people and right. and People who are in different situations than um, than I am, but they're still uh, they're still about people, and and uh, I find I find the people very interesting, and the writing is great. And so you've mentioned a number of short stories, but you usually do you usually read short no. stories? I, I didn't no. think so. No, I am not a not a short stories fan generally. Um, Sounds like that may change. Maybe. Well, I mean, I don't know. I still I still prefer the I still prefer the novel. And uh, I, it, it's it's very few. In fact, I get the New Yorker, and there are short stories in there every week. I never read them. <laughs> never, never. No, even by authors whom I like. I just now McGoin's a New Yorker writer, as as are yes. some of the, most of the great writers. Yeah, and I think some of the, some of the um, short stories in Men Without Women appeared in the New Yorker. Uh, so you mentioned when we spoke another author, completely different. It's a novel, uh, Middleman, Olin Steinhauer. Uh, Olin Steinhauer. Steinhauer. Um, I he's a spy novelist, and I read a review about this book, All the Old Knives. I think was the name of it, and it was a uh, really a terrific psychological thriller where two uh, former colleagues met for dinner and there was there had been a screw up in uh, several years earlier and 
one of them was investigating the other, but you don't, you don't, you don't know who it is. And, and they're playing games with each other back and forth. And it's not until the end that you realize that, uh, you know, one is there to, to kill the other one. <laughs> so I really enjoyed that. And I was in um, Berlin on business a couple of years ago. I needed a book to read for the flight home. I didn't have a book. And I remembered when I had been in Berlin, my daughter spent the semester there. Uh, my wife and I had visited this bookstore that had a tremendous selection of English language books. My hotel was not too far from it. So I went there and I'm just looking to get a book. And uh, I see Steinhau, the tourist. Okay, so I buy that. And it was the uh, first of a trilogy about a guy who works in the uh, CIA's Department of Tourism. I have no idea where that actually exists, but he's like a contract killer for the CIA. And it was great. So I read that and then the next two. And when I saw that the middleman was coming out, I, I, like six, six months ago, I probably saw that. I put in a request in the library, it came in, and, uh, and I read it. Uh, last week. That's phenomenal. What was the name of the first book? Uh, I think it's All the Old Knives. Imagine finding a spy novel in Berlin. Yeah, shocking, right? Yeah. Two of my three kids are tremendous readers. Megan reads 70 books in a year. And they both live in uh, Brooklyn, and they both are avid users of the library. I would say at least a third of the books that I read each year I get from the library. That's great. There's an app called, I think it's called OneDrive, where if you've got a library card, you can get, you can reserve books at any library or the library within the system, uh, and as well as audio books for, uh, for free. My, I had one experience with audio books. I will never read one again. I uh, had to drive down and back to D.C. one my oldest son was was going to school there. Usually I would drive down with him in the beginning of the semester, drive back alone and reverse it at the end of the year. But he had to go down early for some fraternity thing and he didn't have his, his uh, dorm wasn't ready. So I drove down and I heard people talk about books on tape and I thought, All right, here's a perfect opportunity. So I got um, the Stephen Ambrose, um, uh, the one about Lewis and Clark. Oh, it's a great book. Yeah, so... It's got I, a name, too. It does have a name. I can't think of it right now. Yeah. But uh, So I got it out of the library. Now, I miscalculated. I thought it was 12 hours, but it was 24 hours. It was 12 hours. I can handle it. I'm, re I'm listening to it. I'm missing exits. I can't... <laughs> you know, I just... I can't... I, I can't um, really... I, I can't pay attention to something else while I'm driving. And but the thing that really annoyed me is when you're particularly when you're reading a, um, a nonfiction book, sometimes they'll mention somebody and you say, well, who was that? And, and you want to go back. And yeah. with the audio book, you can't yeah. do it. Now, with the with um, uh, e-books, you can. Oh, you can flag, you, you know, you yeah. can flag it. Right, and right. I've read a couple of e-books, but I much prefer the the, uh, you know, the solid real book, real, real book. So. Um, Many years ago, I wasn't able to read for a while, and so somebody said I should listen to books on tape. And it was summertime. And, you know, you, if you're reading a book, you sit in a hammock. You know, I call it, we have a two-page hammock. After two pages, you fall asleep. <laughs> right, right. And that's okay. But if you're listening to a book on tape, it keeps going. <laughs> 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 right, right. So yeah. uh, 
But I recently listened to two books on tape, uh, one with Dave, uh, Shoe Dog, the biography of Phil Knight. Terrific, okay, yeah, that's book. right. I've heard of that book, right. And yeah. then uh, Springsteen's autobiography, which he read. Uh, which he, okay. And, and that was that one, it's a fascinating book. But right. I can't Well, I, I, I got that one on tape because somebody introduced me to Overdrive, and there it was. So, so um, you, you've described, well, I think you've described books you're reading and books on your shelf. What, what else is on your, on deck? Well, um, the old, I just got a book out of the library called Righteous by Joe, I think his name pronounced Ide, or maybe it's I-D, it's I-D-E. And he's a Japanese-American who lives in L.A., and he wrote, um, I, I think he was probably in his 40s, he wrote his first novel, and it was a detective, kind of a detective novel starring an African-American in south-central L.A., called IQ was the name of the book. And the protagonist is, I forget I forget exactly what his name is, but his initials are IQ, and he's very smart, but he's got a very interesting backstory. So I read that, and then I was just looking to pick up a book. We're going on vacation next week, and I wanted to read something, so I got that. Do you find you pick up a book for vacation, and then you read it before you go? Well, I'm a little worried that this I could read pretty quickly, but I don't I don't think I'll get it done before then. <laughs> You'll bring a New Yorker with you. Well, what's interesting is we we go into Martha's Vineyard and when the kids were younger, we went there every summer for probably 8 or 9 years. And one of the things we would do, there's a bookstore in Vineyard Haven called Bunch of Grapes, and we would go there and um I'd always get a book, and I'd get a book by somebody I never heard of. And um, I'm trying to think of what the uh, it'll come to me later. But I, I Pete Dexter was the was the author, and uh, I can't think of the. I've read Pete Dexter. I can't think of the name of the book. Is there a Coke bottle involved? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, our, fr our friend Patty Newworth suggested that. Paris book. Trout. Paris, Paris Trout. Trout. I shudder. Yeah, Paris Trout was not a nice guy. But anyway, I I I picked this book out of you know not randomly, but I'm looking through and I this sounds interesting. And I wound up reading four or five of uh, God's Dexter? Pocket was one oh, or the oh, other by Pete, Dexter. by Pete Dexter. So. That's great. Um, I can't remember any other book that I got, but that was the first one that I got. So we we will we went back two years ago. The kids gave us as a Christmas present a week in Martha's Vineyard with with all of them with, there. With all of them there. Yeah. So <laughs> so we went we went to a bunch of graves, which is now moved across the street into smaller space, and but it's still a great bookstore. And so I know I will get a book there sometime next week. Uh, it, as I said, the, just thinking about. Uh, the Pete Dexter book makes me shudder. Yeah, that was... Uh, so a definition of a good book. You, know, you, you remember it. Yep. Uh, it's vivid. Uh, I'm reading Manhattan Beach now. I read... I, that was one of the books I got for Christmas. I really enjoyed that. Did you Did you read her first book? I did not. Uh, uh, a Visit from the Goon Squad is tremendous. Oh, good. It is tremendous. It's a series of interconnected kind of short Janet stories. Janet Egan? Is that it? Uh, Jennifer Egan. Jennifer. Jennifer Egan. Egan. It it's terrific. Manhattan Beach is really good too, but but uh, visit from the Goon Squad is is special. So they spend time in Brooklyn. They spend time in the Bronx. 
uh, spend some time in Manhattan. Manhattan Beach, of course, is in Brooklyn, yep. but yep. Uh, they spent time in Manhattan. Uh, I, I picked it up because it was chosen by the New York City Mayor's Office and New York Magazine for all New Yorkers. Oh, to is read. that the book to read? That's yeah. the book to read. Yeah. So I figured I'm. That's my. That's what I do. Yeah. So yeah. so I figured I'd read that. Um, you, you mentioned the New Yorker, uh, but you don't read the fiction. Um, Remnick, of course, is. I mean, there are so many stars there. Remnick, right, is, is at the top of the chain. Are there thing? Are there authors in particular? And so, for example, George Packer. I, I resolved many years ago to read anything George Packer writes. Are there particular authors from the New Yorker that you like? I get the New Yorker. I open it up. I read a couple of things in the front. You know the. Uh, yep. Talk about Tam, talk about uh, Tam, whatever it's called. I read the uh, cartoons, the drawings. Excuse me. Yeah. I look at the back to see if I can come up with with uh, a, a caption for for that drawing. You've won that many times. I've yeah, in my head. No, I I never come up with anything. And yeah. then I look at them the next week and I say yeah, yeah. that was obvious. Yeah. Why didn't I come up with that? I don't really read the New Yorker much. I get it. We've been getting it for. 40 years, and um, I used to, it's amazing, I have more time now. The kids are gone, and I read The New Yorker less, um, and I just, it, 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 it should be a monthly. It's, it, there's too much in there. Seriously. <laughs> so I, I, re, I refer to it as relentless. Uh, yeah. No matter how much you read, next Monday, Tuesday, yeah, yep. it's coming back. Well, I, I had to stop. Did you ever read The New York Review of Books? I did not. That was a tremendous um, publication. I think that it's still, it's still in existence. It actually, it came, it came into existence during the great newspaper strike of 1965, maybe. And so a bunch of um, out-of-work uh, newspaper people put it together. And then, I don't know, Norman Mailer might have been involved been in it, or I don't know. But uh, they had these long, long articles uh, mostly geopolitical and economic and tremendous stuff. You could read one and, and you know, and you would be exhausted. But I got that for years, and then I just I gave it up because I just wasn't reading it. Yeah, well, that's, that's a good idea if you're not reading it. But in New Yorker, you're still getting value out of yes, it. Yes, yes. Absolutely. So um, let's talk a little bit about Stephen King. So I know that uh, you're not a big Stephen King fan, uh, but as I've mentioned to you, uh, I'm going to be talking on another edition of the podcast with Maya Prohovnik, who's head of product here at Anchor. And she's also, possibly more importantly, a Stephen King superfan. Maya's got, is the creator and host of The Dairy Connection, which is devoted to a discussion about all of King's 70-plus novels. And Maya, I think, has read close to 50 of them. And one of the things she does on both the uh, podcast and on her website is find the connections between the characters and the places and a variety of other things between among all the novels. Fascinating. I'm not a fan of horror, horror stories myself. Uh, I know you're generally not a fan. I read 11-22-63. You read 11-22-63. I loved it. I think you liked it as well. I did. So what? What? <clears throat> what is it? So that... It wasn't a horror story. There was a mystery involved. Uh, Well-written. It was also a period piece that we probably both enjoyed. Right. Is that a good description of what you found attractive? Yeah. Um, I uh, saw that the Times gave it a great review. I should back up. Um, my son, Brian, has read, I think he's read everything that Stephen King has read, every novel. I don't know if he's read his, his uh, critical 
uh, maybe we'll get him on Maya's podcast. And I will. And um, so he would have them around the house. And I remember picking one up. I was in the bathroom and started leafing through it. And I said, this is crap. Not the bathroom, <laughs> but the book. And Just uh, so much we can do with editing. You know. <laughs> but go ahead. And um, so I had no interest in it at all. And then um, I, he, he uh, hosted... Uh, there's a, a series at Symphony Space, which is in the Upper West Side. Every year, they put out the best American short stories. It's a it's a it's a compendium, and there is an author who is in charge of that. And the author um, appears. It's it's usually in October, and explains his or her uh, criteria for selecting the um, the short stories, and and talks about it. And then people come actors will come and read three or four of them so uh, I knew I, I knew that Stephen King was the was the editor this is probably 10 years ago and I got tickets for my wife and Brian my son who likes Stephen King and Chris came home and said the guy was tremendous uh, he's, he's really very you know I thought he's a horror writer I mean but actually, to be a successful writer, whatever genre, whether it's Jacqueline Suzanne, you have to, you have to be really good at what you're doing. You have to be a storyteller. Yeah, and but he is is also um, very well steeped in literary criticism, and so I, and then I read one or two articles by him um, about the art of writing, and then when this uh, eleven twenty two sixty three came out, I thought, all right, it's got a good review. I'm going to read it and. I loved it. I should tell you that my son calls me a crackpot letter writer. And when I read <laughs> novels, some things, I don't look for errors, but they jump out at me. And um, I write to authors and I tell them, look, hey, I loved your book, but this was wrong and this was wrong. Um, and, and so th there were a couple of things where I can't remember all of them, but one of them he had... Um, the 1962 um, AFL championship game was between the Denver Broncos, I think, and the Houston Oilers or the, Can the Dallas, maybe the Dallas Chiefs before they moved to Kansas City. And it referred to it as the AFC championship. So I had to explain that the AFC didn't exist until, until they merged. And then it was something else. How and did he express his appreciation? Uh, by not responding, okay. um, and and I th I wrote I had footnotes in the letter and of everything, course. and uh, <laughs> never did. Get, I I've only gotten two responses: one from um, Mark Helprin, uh, memoir from Ant Proof Case, which is I don't know if you read Mark Helprin, but he's he's really very good, and he had a guy going over the Throgs Neck Bridge before it was built. And so Quite I wrote feet. to him yeah. and pointed it out. And he sent me a postcard thanking me for he loves nice. having interested readers. And I got, I, I'm drawing a blank now. I got, I got one recently from somebody else, but it's it's not coming to me. I wrote a letter to uh, my rabbi correcting, I thought correcting um, a sermon. Uh, he had a different view. <laughs> but but it's the dialogue is what's important. So in any event, I so I love... Yep. Eleven twenty two sixty three, and then Brian said you should read Mister Mercedes, which is really a detective novel. And I read it. 
I really liked it. It was oh good. You know, I, I mean, I like I now like detective novels. I read a lot of them, and I found it really interesting. And then that was the first of a trilogy. The third one got into a little bit of horror stuff, uh, but but the second was very good. And the third one was good, but it was starting to be too much Stephen Kingy for me. Have you read The Green Mile? No. I recommend it. Yeah, I saw the movie, but I have not have not read the uh, great book. Yeah, great book. So, uh, so you mentioned Symphony Space, um, uh, you mentioned, but you didn't go hear King there. Have you heard other authors that you know? At oh yeah, Space? yeah, yeah. Um, my my daughter and I went to see. Uh, they had a thing about. Roberto Bolliano, if you've heard of this guy, he he wrote two. He's written a lot of stuff, uh, but he wrote two very long uh, novels. One was called Twenty Six Sixty Six. I can't think. Did of the you other. mention that to me? Somebody, no, I, I don't think so. No, that's that's. I'm gonna have to connect it. Somebody else mentioned Twenty Six Sixty Six to me. It's a, in the last couple of days. It is a massive book. It's seven or eight hundred pages long, and it's just it's fascinating. I can't think of the other one. The other one was a little bit shorter. But they had a um, they had a night of and he he died of cancer pretty early young age, um, and and they had a night of of reading some of his short stories. Uh, they 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 had a fiftieth I guess anniversary of Catch Twenty Two, and they had cool. uh, Joseph Heller was not there because he was dead, but um, they had his. Uh, his editor, Robert Gottlieb, who's one of the great New York editors. Um, I can tell you a little bit of a story about Robert Gottlieb if, yeah, go if, right we, if we have time. <laughs> if we have time. So it's old, old Robert Gottlieb. Okay. So Symphony Space is on Upper West Side. Well, yeah, 95th and Broadway. Yeah, that's great. So um, uh, I know you read the New York Times book review column by the book. Yes. And that's by B-Y, not B-U-I. Yes. Although by the book. So I read a few of the by the book columns after you mentioned the section to me, and I found it fascinating to read about, for example, well, the wide, among other things, the wide variety of books that various people read. Uh, when Anthony Bourdain, may he rest in peace, was interviewed, uh, he had on his bedstand books about Churchill and Orwell, and of course Graham Green, Greene's uh, memoir, uh, Ways of Escape. John McCain talked about a Sinatra biography as well as recommending that we all read Huckleberry Finn. Good advice. Bill Clinton had massive number of books. He loves. Uh, he loved uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. I don't know if you read that. My my daughter just read that. Yeah. Said it was great. It was a, uh, very difficult, a very sad story about American Indians. Oh, it's terrible. Native, I mean, I read the, I read the review of it, and oh, it's, it's just horrible, horrifying, horrifying. Uh, but Clinton had books, of course, about history, humanity, and enlightenment. Um, do you find authors by reading by the book? No, not really. Um, m m many of them I've never heard of. Um, and uh, I'm just, I'm always curious to see what they read. I often, I also, because I grew up in the Bronx, I think some of them are full of hooey when they talk about all the books that they have in their, on their nightstand, okay? But that's, that's just me. Um, and the Bronx provides that skepticism, is that Yes, it? yes. Yeah. Um, uh, that's uh, some of the great it, people are from the Bronx. It, you know uh, that. Yes, I do. Uh, both of us included. I yeah, think. Absolutely. So, so you wanted a, a little vignette about Gottlieb. All right. So Robert Gottlieb is this 
legendary New York editor. And he was Robert Caro's editor when Caro wrote uh, The Power Broker. So the Caro spent himself into bankrupt, almost into bankruptcy. Probably uh, took a decade or more. Yeah, and, and the great thing about him is he has only one uh, researcher, and that's his wife. Yes. So it's unlike Stephen Ambrose or Doris Kearns Goodwin who have been caught for, for uh, plagiarism because they have a team of people doing their research. He just has his wife. So anyway, he writes The Power Broker. He's, he's, he must have gotten a little bit of an advance, but um, he, he, he was down to, he had no money. Anyway, Power Broker is a big success. He's now an important author. And he had always said that he wanted, to, his next book was going to be on LaGuardia. He was a big fan of Fiora LaGuardia. And Gottlieb was also a big fan of LaGuardia. And he was excited that he was going to do this book. So he comes to, to, to meet, to sign the contract, get the advance. Both of them have independently determined LaGuardia is too narrow. It's, it's too limited to New York. You should do the, the book should be on Johnson, right? So Caro comes in, and Gottlieb is now trying to persuade him mm -hmm. to do something that he already wants to do. And and uh, Caro wrote a, an article in, in in the New Yorker about this. Uh, said, I sat there, kept my mouth shut as my advance kept going up <laughs> and up and up. That's so great. it's 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 really fascinating that two of them arrived at the same conclusion independently, and then Caro used you know used it against Gottlieb to get. Uh, so it's a great and it was a great conclusion. That's a great story, but it was a great conclusion. Uh, I read Paths to Power, Path to Power. And, and then I read about Carol. I don't remember if I read that story. I may have. Uh, and it takes about a decade for each book. I, I think there are three or four already about Johnson. He's, he's, if you look at the introduction to the first, it says this is the first in a projected trilogy. So my brother Kevin and I have read, read, read the, the first three, and we're waiting. When is the next one going to come out? Uh, the the third one ends with his becoming vice president so that's before so path to power i thought was the fourth mm. and because in path to power he becomes president if i remember yeah correctly. that's the most recent one right okay right i i don't know the names i know one two yeah. three and four so um there was there was an article an excerpt from it in the new yorker and uh Kevin gets the New York, and we're excited, and we're figuring this book has got to be two thousand pages long because it's going to take him to yeah. his death. Yeah, but no, and 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 so I went online and found that it was seven hundred fifty pages. I said, "This is not ending." I mean, and it just took you through sixty four. So uh, it's right, about every ten, it's about every ten years. He's got to. He, he's, he's in, in his, his mid eighties. Mid eighties, but he's working on the next volume. He said, the last I heard, he had done almost all of his research, but he had to go to Vietnam to actually right. be in Vietnam to, to, to see it. I mean, that's th those books are, are just tremendous. I love it. Uh, they're, they're great. And, and um, there was a Broadway show from Breaking Bad. Tell me, remind me the... the no, I, I'm drawing, drawing a blank. Didn't I haven't so, seen the show? Oh, uh, the show was—it it was the basically yeah. The TV show is supposed to be great. I never saw it. Uh, yeah. So uh, all of the Carol books are amazing. So the Power Broker, 
is huge and amazing, and it's relevant today in New York. And of course, everything about Johnson is relevant. So, so I, I reread the Power Broker about five or six years ago, and <clears throat> when you when I read it in 1975, New York City was collapsing. Yeah. Right. I mean, it was the the crime was up. Uh, there was graffiti all over the place. The infrastructure was falling apart. The city was virtually bankrupt, and Moses was really a bad guy. Yes. I read it maybe I, I don't know, five or ten years ago, and although Moses is still a bad guy, it's different because the city is vibrant and it's um, economically booming. And, and I, I just found that the time in which you read a book like that really has, has an effect. Now, maybe if you read it again today with the subways falling apart right. and, you know, bridges collapsing and all that, maybe I would have a back to kind of 1975 world right. feel. But. Well, but that's a good, good observation. I still, as, as a native of the Bronx and as a uh, participant in the life of the Bronx today, I still find it difficult to appreciate the way he beat up the Bronx. Oh, well, what he did with the Cross Bronx Expressway yeah. was disgraceful. Absolutely. So, I think that's plenty. Jim, thanks very much. Pleasure to be here. More information about our guest today can be found on our website, www.bookwormsinthewild.com. Our website also includes links to the books and other resources we referred to in our discussion. Thanks especially to my podcast team. Dave created the podcast with me and is my producer. Ron is responsible for art direction and design. Melanie, as always, is in control of most everything and has provided overall creative direction. Ben and Eden provide additional inspiration and support. And, of course, Carol is my muse, as well as my affiliate manager. The entire Wolfpack is also responsible for introducing me to most of our guests. Thanks also to the great Anchor team for making it free and easy to create the podcast. If you liked our podcast, please subscribe. And in any event, let me have your comments at bookwormsinthewild at gmail.com. Looking forward to seeing you on the podcast next week.